Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is The Hideaway Podcast, episode 68. 68. That's Spanish. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday. It's a little dreary here in New York, but it's a good day because today we are going to see... Philip Petit. He's going to do a, I think it's a live show, or maybe it's just him walking on the wire while he's talking. <laughs> we don't actually know what it is, but we know that he's doing something. So we're going to go see it because he was one of our podcast guests and for sure one of my favorites. I really like his attitude. Josh and I have his book. We've given them out as gifts now. Um, his attitude towards everything is really inspiring, I think. And Josh even has a tattoo of him on his arm now. Well, it's not exactly of him, but it's definitely Philip, inspired by him. I'm your biggest him. fan. Look at my tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be saying that. But we're seeing him tonight at Strath. But don't you think, though, if you were someone who maybe is not, like, super famous and someone had a tattoo that's inspired by them on their body, I'd be like, wow, that's so cool. But he or also like, is like, oh, man, that's <laughs> creepy so <fans>. creepy. <laughs> Well, maybe wear a t-shirt. We can show him. Yeah, it might pop out of my, my sleep if he sees it. But we're going to see it at Streb tonight, which is this uh, actually a pretty cool space that's in Brooklyn. I'm sure many of you who live in New York have heard about it. But it was started by Elizabeth Streb, who's a dance choreographer, does a lot of acrobatics stuff. She calls it action mechanics as opposed to acrobatics or dance. She's actually got a flying trapeze rig inside her studio, too. It's in Williamsburg. Uh, Philip Petit has done a lot of stuff there. He talked about it. Uh, on the podcast with us last time. So super excited to see that. We'll report back to you on how it goes. Yeah, I'm excited. I've never been to that space. And for those of you who are like, what am I going to do this weekend? If you're on the West Coast or if you're in Las Vegas, you should go see one of our shows. We just reopened Beyond Babel for season two. All new crochet, some new dance scenes, some new cast members, totally refreshed. Yeah, I think it's been... Well, also big news is Keone and Mari announced that Mari's pregnant with a little baby girl. So uh, we actually knew a little bit ago, but we couldn't tell anyone. It was, that was dying inside. But of course I had to keep the secret. Um, But because of that, they're not performing in every show, which is cool because it gives three new couples a chance to, to do the role. So we have uh, Celine Harrow and Isidro Raphael, who are an actual couple they are both teachers and amazing dancers in their own right. You can find them on Instagram. And they have lots of videos on YouTube dancing together. They really are, like, so sharp, so clean. Yeah. Celine actually plays um, one of the supporting roles regularly. And Isidro was one of the new cast members for season two. Yeah, so that's one couple, which, you know, they have their own. Every couple also has their own flair. So it's fun to see the show because they're really hard-hitting, very amazing dancers and then a second couple is Hugh Aparente and Shannon Kelly. They're both dancers from L.A., come from more of the industry scene. Hugh was on World of Dance with Ian Eastwood and the Young Lions and is a choreographer himself. And Shannon has the most incredible freestyling. Movement quality. Yeah, like, totally different from everyone else. And Hugh and Shannon are also an, uh, best friends couple. And they bring like a young, playful really graceful just i mean they bring us such a different vibe the to chemistry it they have on stage is just insane it the is two of them. and then our our newest 
couple that's not an actual couple doing the role is Liv Batista and Sam Moore. And they are just two people that when you watch them on stage, you're like, wow, they have they have the stage Charisma. presence. They have it. You like them from the second you meet them. So we figured we should probably have one more. They're also probably couple. two of the best actors yes. in the show. Yes. So, you know, and the, we're talking about how and you know in theater it's so common to pretend you're in love with someone that maybe isn't even into the same sex that you are the same gender but it's so believable and you love it and in dance they're like well we can't do that unless we're an actual couple and uh not that we can't do it no it's, it's, just, it's just harder it's not so normal it's not so normal so this is the first couple that we have uh who are not a real couple and i'm very excited to see them but they're also young and I think it'll feel very Romeo and Juliesque of like that first love where Keone and Mari feel like eternal soulmates where they're like coming together and, you know, it's a real mature love. Well, Keone and Mari are both uh, in their th- early, early 30s while right. the rest of these other studies are all in their early 20s. So yes. it definitely does bring a younger vibe. Well, Liv, Liv and Shannon are 18. 18. <laughs> Born in 2000. When you look at their births or their uh, driver's license, you're like... Let me just like go drown myself. 1988, the year of the dragon. So is 2000, right? And so is 2000. So basically we're 12 years apart. <laughs> it's the moral. That's right. But we were out there for a whole week last week. Um, you know, I think when you produce anything, you learn something new. And remounting the show was definitely a lot less stressful than the first time. But not without any stress. But not without any stress. A lot happened. We barely got any sleep. But... It's it's always so uh, everything goes away and doesn't matter once you see an audience enjoying your show. It's like the best feeling. It really is. And, you know, I know a lot of you are like, I can't make it to San Diego. I live in New York. Well, we have some good news for you. Later this month on Tuesday, February 26th, we are doing two private presentations of Beyond Babel in New York City to sort of help boost uh, the likelihood and fundraise and get a theater for a potential New York run uh, later this year or in 2020. Both of those performances are completely private. We're not selling tickets. It's invite only. But we do have four tickets in total that we can give away to podcast listeners. So the first four people or person, we'll say first two people, yeah, each person can get it. two tickets yeah. each to write us an email at hello at hideawaycircus.com with why you want to see Beyond Babel in New York City on February 26th, we'll get those two tickets. I think it's totally going to be free. a really cool room of people, too. It's a lot of, I don't know, movers and shakers in the New York scene, uh, which is awesome. I mean, we've been getting a really good response from people. So the hope is that we we can come bring it to New York for for a run so everyone on the East Coast can see this amazingness. Yeah, and you know, for those of you who are listening in Europe, we are putting together our plans for mm-hmm. a little bit of a Euro tour starting Euro tour. Uh, at the end of this summer. So we'll have more news about that soon, hopefully. Yes, and you know, Misbehave right now is in Australia. Well, they actually just got back. So if you missed them in Australia, you missed them. But they were in Australia for about a month and a half, and now they're back in Vegas. So we will be in Vegas. For one drop. For one drop, um, which is Cirque du Soleil's charity event to raise money for clean water around the world or drinking water. I think it's on water. March 8th. It's a Friday, I believe. 
Yes, I think so. But our cast is doing, of Beyond Babel, is doing a performance at One Drop. So while we are there, we are also going to go see Misbehave. And I really want to try to see Opium. And we want our cast to see Absinthe. Yes, yeah, so we got a lot of shows we got to bring people to it. Yeah, they need to ourselves. be a little bit uh, immersed in our world. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of Cirque du Soleil real quick, we have some interesting news about them yesterday. They just bought another company. Mm-hmm. I think it's called The Works Entertainment. The two big shows are Circus 1903, which you've heard us talk about before, and The Illusionists, which you is a You know what's interesting? Show. The Illusionists show, when I was working at Nederlander, which owned nine of the Broadway houses, theaters, they went into the Marriott for a interim like summer session for like three months, the Illusionist show, and they did pretty well because I saw all the grosses. Um, I was that was my job at Nederlander was basically inputting all the all of the expenses and the grosses of each week, seeing how they did, and also making sure the pest control and HVAC systems were working. Very glamorous, but they did pretty well. They were doing all the same things now for our own building. And now, and now I'm doing that all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the training. Yeah, I mean, we had some plumbing issues this week. Got to bring we a did. plumber in to fix two different toilets. Very glamorous life of the showbiz producer. You know what, um, has also been on my mind a little bit with working in theater with women is the the relationships that women can have with each other in the workplace. And I've been really lucky to have really amazing women that I look up to and then also like not so amazing women. And then I was thinking about the the feminist and uh, this t-shirt I have that I want to throw away. But then I'm like, no, I shouldn't throw it away because like we all should be feminists. And then I was thinking back. It depends on your definition. Of exactly. To, uh, to Right. But then I had this boss at Nederlander whose name is Bill and he's amazing and he was super flamboyant and the best the best boss I ever had, I would say. Not one of the best boss, the most colorful Don't let boss. Jeff Lawson, you no, say no, that. Jeff was the for sure the best boss. But the most colorful boss, I think I would say. And um he I I at Nederlander I got really uh I would say um like had a weird moment with another man at the office of like a boss. And where he was like berating me for no reason. And Bill like stood up for me. And I'd only been working there for like a month. He stood up for me. And we went to the other guy. And he, I don't know, it was just like, I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this. But I've just been thinking about like women's empowerment in um, in work. And we kind of talk about with our guests today of like this style of dancing and feeling powerful. And one thing that. I was thinking about while we were literally talking and I'm looking at our wall is almost all of our posters. The feature is a woman. Our show is almost always about women empowerment. Like Amy is so powerful and misbehave, right? She like, she controls the whole show and slumber was basically all women and one man and beyond people is 50, 50, completely 50, 50. And I remember one of the couples, Shannon, there's this one piece in act two. She was like, I just feel like the most powerful woman in the planet when I do this dance. And um, so I'm going to keep my feminist shirt and I want to like rephrase how I think about it. Yes. Well, I'm sure you'll hear, you know, particularly as we get into longer, longer form interviews, how Lindsay and I's just sort of thoughts on culture has evolved a lot in the last year. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting for you guys, you know, as we change, hopefully you guys change with us or at least enjoy, you know, our thinking through various problems and themes, mm-hmm. both 
circus, dance, theater, cultural, artistic, what have you. Yeah. Well, we, we work in a really interesting section of the world because it's all about exploring what you want to say. You know, like we have to think about what we think of what we think about things because we are putting stuff out there that says something art should say something even if it's like be silly you know like have a fun time but it it is always saying something and if you're like in a law office or something you're not really at the forefront of of really wanting to know what you think because your work isn't putting it out there you know what I mean I mean, no diss to any lawyers out there, but I, I feel love- <laughs> I feel I feel you on the you know when you're working in artistic mediums, particularly things like theater and dance, and you're putting on shows. Those shows have a message, and what that message is, and how it fits the cultural moment, is always going to be relevant. Yeah, and I I was talking about this a lot with playwrights about are you writing something that you know will be accepted by the mainstream opinion, just because you don't want to because you know it'll be accepted, or are you writing it because you actually believe it? Yes. And I think... Um, I think most people, not necessarily the yeah. better people, but the majority do the first. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and what I love about how we phrased and structured Beyond Babel is it really doesn't have a right or wrong. Like this is like, you know... Well, it doesn't, it's not political. That's no, it's not. Even though it, it really could be political with the wall being built... And thank you, Trump, for continuing to talk about the wall because it makes our show relevant. But, you know, the wall being built and, and families being separated is inherently political. But the show itself is just about a human story. Yes, exactly. Well, I think that's a good enough teasing Beyond Babel. Let us know if you want to come see the New York presentation. Again, we have four tickets. Two people each get two tickets. Email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com with why you want to come see it. It's going to be on Tuesday, February 26th. We have one show at 1 p.m. and one show at 6 p.m. So, Josh, tell us who our guests are today. So today, our guests are (laughs) Kaitana Magno and Jimmy Sutherland, a.k.a. Jimmy Taps. And both of these people I've known for a long time and have a special place in my heart. Starting with Jimmy Taps, Jimmy is a dancer, tap dancer, beatboxer, uh, who was actually in my very, very first variety show I ever put on, Mr. Abner's Variety (laughs) Show. I think he was maybe the second to last last act in it beatboxing and tap dancing at the same time you'll hear him beatbox a little bit on this episode i had to restrain myself from asking him to do a tap dance oh yeah on the air yeah we don't really have tap shoes but maybe uh i strongly recommend seeing him live or youtubing him he's also uh sharing the the episode with his wonderful fiance somebody else i've known for a very long time katana magno i hope i'm saying your last name right katana she has been a dancer her whole life starting in ballet i actually met her when i was working at the box she was one of the showgirls to start with and then eventually became the director and has since really focused on directing and choreographing immersive projects. Right now, the two of them are directing a show called Carmen. I believe it's already had a few performances. It's at the public arts in the Lower East Side. And it's about the opera, but it's done in an immersive way featuring uh, different styles of dance, particularly Latin styles of dance. They do talk about it quite a bit in the podcast. You'll get the chance to hear about that show and their experience. But I think, you know, this episode is is particularly interesting because Kaitana and Jimmy are a similar point in their careers to where we are, but attacked it from a very different angle. Sort of what happens when you follow the performing career for a longer time and are not at the point where they're really directing and choreographing projects and trying to figure out what they want to focus on and what the next thing is. They're also working on a pretty cool sounding documentary. 
So if you're a dancer, particularly a dancer in New York, interested in that transition from being a performer to somebody who makes things, if you're interested in immersive theater, this is definitely the episode for you. And if you like our podcast, here's our ask. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, rate us on iTunes. That's probably the most important and helpful thing that you could do. And Twitter, tweet us. us. I almost forgot. Twitter, tweet us. But really, just thanks for listening. We, We enjoyed doing this so much. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And here's our episode with Kaitana and Jimmy. So you guys are both dancers, uh, you know, yes. at least first you were both dancers. Yes. Um, maybe we start with you, Kaitana. How did you get into dance? I know your parents were dancers. What's that What's that story? Well, uh, both parents dancers. My mother was um, a ballerina. She was also an actress. Um, and my father is a choreographer. So I came out the womb dancing pretty much. Oh, I was nice. like, you know, it's who I am. Um, I started dancing like training professionally at six years old in ballet um, at a company called Southern Ballet Theater. It Where was, were you growing up? I grew up all over the place and pretty much for my, my ballet training. So I moved to, <laughs> I was um, from, I started in California, moved to Florida. That's where I began my ballet training. Mm. Um, and then I moved to Indiana where I continued to train with Ballet International, which is like, a company that had a bunch of art, European artists, and I was predominantly trained with the Kirov Ballet. So um, that sounds like Russian or Ukrainian. Or it something. was yeah, yeah. Kirov Ballet is uh, Russia. Oh, Russia. Okay. Yeah. So, so super harsh. The, the vi- yeah, yeah, yeah. Really strict. Yeah. Amazing. I was eleven. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, that was awesome. I mean, uh, her name is Irina Koplakova. She was the prima ballerina assoluta of the Kirov Ballet, and her husband was the uh, principal. Principal, uh, what was he? He was the prin- vice, vice principal of the Kirov Ballet School. Sure. So they were over there training in Indiana, and I'm so blessed to like have their their knowledge inside my body it's amazing is there no point like before 11 where you were like guys stop putting me in dance class or no was, like always i wanted it day one i asked for it you asked for it yeah my mom tried to put me in like a creative movement class when i was four <laughs> okay and um i went to the teacher and i was like this isn't dancing so she's like okay we're gonna wait <laughs> until you're a little bit older and you can actually start like real training yeah so um so where was i, I was in indiana and then after indiana i went to alabama where I trained with American Ballet Theater, um, some people from ABT, so Wes Chapman. Were you moving because your parents' jobs were taking you to different places? Is that the reason? Both. My mom, she's a, she's a ballet teacher, so yeah. um, my training and her jobs went together, and she's a brilliant teacher, so I happened to get some pretty exquisite training. Other than, like, the dancing element, that must have been kind of tough constantly, like, moving every few years, or maybe not because ballet is sort of the through line through it. Yeah, that was definitely my home. Yeah. Right. Um, and it made me. I've moved every four years of my life, my pretty gosh. much. Yeah. Um, so, it's all I know. I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Nice. I'm a gypsy. So then, okay. So you're now a teenager. Did you go to regular high school or did you go to dance school? I went to both. I went to a regular high school, and then I also tested into a place called Indiana University, which does like a 
um, correspondence program. So I started doing that and began dancing professionally at 15. So from 10 a.m. I was dancing until about 7 p.m. So with the company, and then I would train at night, and then I would do school. Did you start any time. other things than ballet by some point? I've seen you dance, and not just ballet. Um, not really until I moved to New York. Yeah. Actually, I mean the training had like a well-rounded thing and modern and character work, but it was all very structured in like the classical elements of it. Yeah. I, I branched out in New York and started doing other things, but it's in my body, I think, for my dad. So, yeah. What kind of style did your dad do? My dad is, uh, gosh, he's he's a commercial choreographer, so he kind of does everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from Brazil originally, and um, moved here to the United States when he was 19 on a scholarship. And then his first, one of his first choreographer jobs was for Madonna, really show tour. So oh. he's um, he's a G. I love him. <laughs> and uh, that's yeah. Are your parents good people to go to uh, like for advice and questions when you're like, oh, I'm choreographing or directing or producing something. This is driving me crazy. Absolutely, they're a go-to for sure. They keep my head on straight. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, and Jimmy, so how how old were you when you got into dance? Because you, I've only really ever seen you do tap dance as your main. Uh, dancing discipline yeah that's about that's about all i do <laughs> yeah i think i tried a couple of things throughout the years but i didn't really gravitate how did you any. get into it i don't really have a choice i don't think um i mean i started when i was four so that's a before Tap dancing? yeah oh my god your parents got you into it well yeah they told me that i was freaking out about um actually uh, uh james cagney in um What's the movie? Whatever, man. I watched this movie that he was in, and I started freaking out. And my parents were like, um, "We got to get him some tap shoes and a, and uh, some wood or something to make whatever he, whatever he's trying to make happen happen." So I started doing that, and I think I was bothering them a lot because the sound was just kind of crazy. And um, they're like, "Maybe we should put him in class so he doesn't make all this noise here." You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's how it started. Where did you grow up? Louisiana. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So. Is there a big tap scene in Louisiana? No, there's <laughs> definitely so not. Is there a tap scene? Yeah, no, no. I was the tap scene, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so. Did you do it, like, in high school, middle school, too? Like, did you continue? Yeah, yeah, I never, st- I'm still doing it. Yeah, 31 yeah. years now, so, yeah. You know, being in high school as a guy dancing, because it's more common for girls to do it. Mm-hmm. Was it did you hide it at all? Or well, in Louisiana, in Louis, yeah, in Louisiana for sure, you know, it's a very athletic, you know, uh, focused reality down there. So, yeah, I mean, I played sports when I was a kid too, but I definitely felt different than everybody else, and I, I loved dance. So, um, in high school, I went to uh, I went to one year of an all boys Catholic high school in Baton Rouge, which was a trip. Um, I definitely was completely, everybody was trying to, I'm actually a really big guy, right? So everybody, all the coaches were trying to get me to play football. football. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I, as much as I liked football. Just want to dance. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it. Well, my, you know, it was kind of a, a, it was like, look, you can't do both. Right. You know, it's like, and I was good at tap. It was what yeah. I was good at, so. And then I moved to New York when I was um, 14 years old. So when uh, I was a sophomore in high school. What so. prompted that? Tap dancing. Yeah, I met a man named um, Henry Letang. And Henry Letang is uh, 
he is one of the masters of tap. Uh, he's passed on now, but um, he I met him when I was about ten years old. He was out of Vegas, um, and he had a, a dance studio, a very famous dance studio there. Um, that I trained, I, I met him through a competition that I was doing actually. And then he approached my parents and said, look, this, this kid is a tap dancer and I want to work with him. So they started bringing me to Vegas to train with Henry Letang and he, he trained everybody. I mean, he trained, you know, Gregory Hines and Savion Glover and all the greats. I mean, everybody, everybody came from Henry really, you know, he's, he was known. Um, so I, then he said, you know, New York is where the tap dancing thing is. And that's kind of where someone like you needs to be. So that's what brought me here. I did musical theater when I was little. And actually when I moved to New York, I had an agent and was doing musical theater, but you know, part of doing musical theater is you have to train in styles of dance. And I had to do <laughs> ballet and I got to the point where I was doing a uh, point mm-hmm. and my teacher was, and I clearly don't have the like ballet body. Of like a butt, and I was like, "Tuck your butt in," and I was like, "I am, I am." <laughs> and, uh, she was a Russian ballet teacher, and uh, like, in order for us to get onto point, we had to be able to stand on our toes, like holding the bar, but come up onto a releve, like on our toes with nothing on. I'm like, oh my god! And then she didn't like us to wear like the gels in the shoes. It was only like paper towels and tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at like one point, we could put a little bit of lamb's wool in there. I was like, what am I doing? And then I go to tap class. I was like, this is amazing. I can just like chill out. My feet don't kill. And uh, I mean, like jazz was where I was like probably the best, but I was pretty good at tap. I love tap. And uh, there's some tap dancers in our show who are like 18 and like trained dancers. And I did a buffalo shuffle across the floor with them. I was like, still got it. There you go. There you go. (laughs) But tap is like, to me, tap was always a little bit more freeing than ballet. Mm-hmm. Because you could just kind of, I don't know, like the whole posture is, you know, more relaxed and like less strict on how your body looked, maybe. Well, you know, I, you know, I, I will say something, and maybe we don't have to go too deep into this, but I will say that I think, I mean, it's, it's pretty apparent to me. Uh, tap dancing is really the definition of our culture, mm-hmm. American culture. I think you know it, it kind of everything kind of stems from it. If, if you look at the history of where it comes from and the music that came from it, and so on and so forth. I mean, all the great, all the great tap dancers really paved the way for the influence of the music and the dance that keeps evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, and while tap still evolves. Today, it, it you know, I think that inside of all of us as Americans, like we, we subconsciously very deeply understand it mm-hmm. in a way that it's just it's part of our who we are. Yeah, you know, feels relatable. Where ballet feels like so virtuosic that you're like, I don't, you know, wow. But have you seen? Have you had the chance to see Justin Peck? Um, the times are racing at Lincoln Center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, you have, do you know Justin Peck? Yes. A ton of tap in this in this one too. Oh. But but sneaker, it's like sneaker ballet, mm-hmm. and they do do a little bit of like tap okay. movement in mm-hmm. it. It is. I think it's back there right now. We yeah. saw it maybe last year, and it is so good, insanely amazing. If you have the chance to see it, you have to go because it almost combines the two forms of ballet and ballet. Definitely a ballet tap, and the ballet is definitely more of a modern take on ballet because mm. they're all in like Kenzo mm-hmm. designed costumes and sneakers. 
but doing like, but they're, you know, these amazing ballerinas. And then cool. you have another skill, which I've seen featured with your tap, which is oh, yeah. boxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that come into play in high school as well? Or yeah, 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 in high school, for sure. Yeah, because people needed a beat to rap on, you know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I got fascinated with the percussive element of making rhythms with voice, you know. And I'm a singer, too, so I grew up singing. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that most singers can beatbox if yeah. they really try. You know what I mean? It's just like, like the control. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's in Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll have to have you sample a little later. Yeah. What's the name of this thing? Hideaway Circus. Yeah. Hideaway Circus. There you go. That should be the new uh, intro yeah, to yeah. our podcast. Oh yeah, that's great. That's so, so then you so you got to New York when you were fourteen. Like, yeah. how old were you when you kind of? I was sixteen or seventeen when I kind of journeyed up here. Officially made the move at seventeen. With your parents or alone? Uh, alone. Wow. Yeah. Were they yeah. like, like are you going to New York all by yourself? Um. A little bit. I mean, because they're performers themselves, mm. it was always pretty supportive on, on that journey. For And I was very headstrong. It wasn't really a choice. <laughs> uh, so we all met, at least the three of us, at the box. So that must be coming up, at least in your journey, soon, right, Kaitana? What do you mean? You moved to New York. Oh, yeah. You were 17. What yeah. did you the box when you were like 19, maybe 18. 20, 18? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so it's right there. How right did you there. find out about it? How did that happen? Well, I, I did a... When I first moved here, I started auditioning, and I was in an all-dance production of uh, Common Grounds, something called Common Grounds, and I was the lead in that, and I was picked up by a casting agent who referred me to a casting agency, and then when I signed to that agency, I was sent on several auditions, and... The box was one of them. And, um, well, like, I just, like, cannot imagine. Okay, so we're sending you on a, a casting call to the box. And you will, what was your audition like? Well, it was actually, it wasn't for the box show. It was for Andre Belaz's 50th birthday party. Okay. So, um, we were there. We were told we were going to be showgirls. And it was showgirl choreography. One of the choreographers was from the agency that I was with. And um, that was my introduction to to that world. It was um, a variety show for Andre Belas. Yeah. Um, so then, how did it how did it morph from being just a one-off variety show into um, being a basically the principal regular dancer in in the cast? Well, uh, I think they decided they were going to turn it into a regular thing that the variety show really worked and. Or at least that's what I've been told. So yeah. <laughs> um, the variety show really worked, and they were going to continue doing it. And um, I joined. Nice. Yeah, I remember you're like one of my clearest memories from like day one of walking in and seeing all the dancers Mine who I auditioned. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I think maybe you and Julie and um, the shorter blonde girl, I forget her name. Lauren Strader. Lauren, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, being like, what have I walked into this looks awesome but um i think yeah i mean that's the feeling Um, i want to hear your box story in a minute as well but um i think something that was really amazing about the box as a young person is seeing all these acts go through it because you learn so much about what makes a good or a bad act and all the various different kinds of circus disciplines and dance and variety and all these things um and i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about 
uh, sort of the creation process for a lot of the dances and scenes you guys were in. Because particularly when it opened in London, I very much remember Sam being like, all right, who's got an idea for a scene? And it was mostly like you and Raven like, right. throwing out ideas for things to do. Um, so maybe you can speak a little bit to uh, what those numbers were like and the creation process and um, you know what you feel like you learned uh, while being there. Right. Well, that's fine. I, say, <laughs> I know. I was trying to put mine down too. I was like, ooh. Um, well, okay. I guess it comes from. <laughs> it was really natural for me to be in like a company environment because I grew up in the ballet world, and um, saw ballets created on a regular basis and how ideas came together and formed in that way. So seeing it done in a three-minute setting, um, like abridged, like these little vignettes of stories of beginning, middles, and ends, was always very exciting to me and um, came pretty naturally. Um, as a storyteller and the process with the box I ended up directing there for a while um, the process with that is that we're constantly churning out new material so every week the goal is to have at least two new numbers in the show so that comes with a meeting a lot of different performers and B also learning how to tell stories with skill sets that are kind of repeated um, on a weekly basis. So I enjoyed it. It was great. It was, I learned a lot and I like flexed a lot of, I, I build a lot of muscle in that aspect of like creating stories for skill sets. Was there anyone in particular that you're proud of that you think back on being like, that was a really good box number um <laughs> i don't know if it's appropriate to talk about do you know amy uh uh miss amy saunders misbehave uh-huh no she's also oh. she's a, she's the star of that show but okay. she told us a bunch of x-rated uh so we just did a know. warning before this is if you because we do have some kids listen to it for you to go if this is this is more adult so if you're listening with yeah, your parents your 18 plus one of your favorite ones a very adult one <laughs> um gosh I, there's so many i yeah. mean I love Ben Franklin. Oh yeah. Ben Franklin's pretty awesome. It's epic. Um, and it was it there's this performer called Albert Cadabra and he has this magic trick where he works with I don't know what it's called, but it's a, a rod that's kind of like an electric rod. Yeah. Um and when he hold we it, it produces current and he can like touch things and they'll catch on fire. So <laughs> it was like figuring out different a way to use that skill. I mean, he literally does a strip tease with it. Well, he like he'll strip and he'll light, you know, a torch off his nipple and like these these cool. um, all these sorts of things. I might have given his trick away, so maybe you know, we, I don't know. Um, okay, so <laughs> the call's coming tomorrow. The call's yeah. coming tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Albert Cadabra, Benjamin Franklin. He lights um, torches on fire with different parts of his body, and so I you know I had to ask the question of okay, what, in what world, in what story would this man need to light a torch with a part of his body? So I immediately thought of electricity and then thought of Benjamin Franklin, you know, the, the father of it all. And um, <laughs> so the whole, the whole scene is um, around the discovery of electricity and fire. And it's, pretty entertaining scene with him and his assistant and he lights all of the 
I mean, literally every single part of his body down to his genitalia. He loved. How much, wow. Yeah. How much of that sort of process of creating an act like that is like preconceived and written by you at home and then you're like, okay, we're going to do this or worked out like on the stage in a rehearsal room? That one was done completely like at home. It was like, oh my gosh, this is a great idea. Came in and was like, let's make this. Um, here's the concept. And I kind of started to progress as I my, my directing like continued to that style, like figuring out a reason for these skills to be happening because I just found it created better, more interesting stories. Um, before, you know, I would meet with people and you kind of hear, feel a vibe and you wing it and you make something in that moment. And those were really great too, but I got much more interesting material prepping. Yeah, did people, were most performers like, okay, cool, like let's create something because I tended to find that a lot of performers like have their have their actor and have their skills and have the tricks that they like and don't really want to like deviate from what they normally do. Mm-hmm. It depends. It really depends on the person because are you raising your hand because you're like that's oh, it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And I mean there are certain performers that come in and don't need it. You yeah. know, I like <laughs> 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 um but with the box specifically, you know, they really like storyline mm-hmm. to be a part of a skill. Like, um, it's very rare that they just let a skill stand alone. It has to be a part of some sort of thing. That's their whole shtick. Shtick, exactly. <laughs> um, Jimmy, on the other hand, I mean, he was he's like a musical act there. So I mm. feel like the story is in the music. And... Um, so what's like a typical box act for you? Because I've never had the well, ultimately here, pleasure. Oh, well, how let's you, talk about your act and then we can talk about how you got there. Whatever That's back. Whatever. Or, yeah, but we're just like in the, in the, in the flow. Yeah. Whatever okay, you so want what's first. your act first? The same is, marital, marital spat. So I, yeah. <laughs> you and us. Here we go. Um, actually, I've brought over 20 acts to the box. So I've done a bunch of different types of stuff. The, the first act. The first thing I ever did at the box, well, for, I was I was street performing a lot to make a in living. In New York. In New York, yeah. When I was, I guess it was 23, 24 years old. So this was like 12, 13 years ago. And this guy was watching me dance on the street. And he was like this really tough New Yorker guy, right? And he was like watching me and he was like, wow. And he came up to me and said, hey, there's this place. I'm, I'm totally butchering his voice. But he was like, hey, there's this place and it's, it's called The Box and it's this new place. And I think you'd just be perfect for it. You don't understand. Like it's the, all the celebrities are going there. It's the hottest new blah, 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 blah. What are you trying to imitate? Yeah, terrible. I'm, like, I'm so sorry for that. If anybody, for some reason he ever hears this, John, John actually. Oh, okay. Ravens. I thought you were maybe doing Arthur. No. Because <laughs> that was pretty spot. <laughs> that is actually what I was trying to do. Yeah, Arthur. Yeah. No, he he was like, you know, I I um. So it was Raven's husband, uh-huh. actually. Raven, oh, oh yeah. husband, John. That's not too bad, actually. That. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, you know, you got to come, you got to come see the show, and um, I said, okay, great. So he he invited me out. I actually brought my dad which was hilarious. And my dad was like, my dad got a seat on the stage and like was ordering wine and cheese, balling the fuck out, which was awesome. Back when they had cheese. Yeah. And seats on the stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever been there with... Well, we were we were on Raven's list, you know, so that was a big deal at that time, you know. He like came out and personally brought us in, and this, this was like you know right at the very beginning when, right. when the you know it was a the really serious, yeah. yeah, yeah, really crazy crowds. Was there. it eleven years? 
Oh, old or now it's 12. I think it's turning 12. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's how I got my start there. What did you do between the age of like 13 and 23 when you were like performing on the on the street? Oh, yeah, I mean a couple I mean I went to high school here. So I went to performing arts high school and Did you go to uh, LaGuardia? No, no, I went to a professional performing arts school. Okay. Which is like the other, the other one, the more ghetto one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, and then I went to uh, I went to conservatory for acting when I was nineteen. Oh, wow. Maggie Flanagan uh, Studio. Style of acting. Meisner. Yeah. Love Meisner. Yeah. Yeah. Happy. What's that? Does it look happy? Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, William Esper. I know. Um, but uh, yeah, Maggie Flanagan. I I met her and and started working with her. I worked for her for th- with her for three years. All the course was two. I stayed an extra year and worked again. And then um, yeah, I mean through that just gigs. That's it. Tap gigs and um, and street, you know, street. I, the street is a, a really special type of place. You know, I'm, we're all working on different types of theater. But like when you're when you're street performing, it is uh, it's a whole different aspect mm-hmm. of uh, performance. You know, do you ever feel like deep like I'm like deep, I guess devalidated. What is that word? Yeah. Devalidated. Or, no, like yeah, not yeah. that like. Like when you're street performing, I always feel bad if I just keep walking past someone. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yes, of course. You know, of course we do. Yeah, I mean, some, you have to go through that because you're like, you know, it's not it's not people. People aren't coming to see your show. You know what I'm saying? They're coming to see they're, they're like just going home or they're going to do their work or whatever. They're going to do their thing and they're just walking by. And it's interesting because like for me, I have a sound and my sound right. is my voice and that's my performance. So. You know, some people, I mean, this, it's the most uh, sensitive sense that we have, this sound that we, that we, you know, it's, it's everything because, you know, it's how we survive mm-hmm. off of the way we, you know, what do you do when you're scared? You hold your breath, right? To hear, right? So really like that is our most innate, you know, uh, sense. So if someone really is offended by your sound, you immediately know it, you know, yeah. if it's like abrasive for them, they're like, today is not the day that I need to be hearing this. You know, they like, <laughs> you could see them all the way at the end of where, you know, or they walk by like, Oh God. But then some people are really like, they, you know, embrace it. Mm-hmm. But through that experience, you know, through that experience, you, I think I'm set apart from a lot of different tap dancers because it's an experiment constantly of mm-hmm. what, exactly what kind of relationship your sound has to the way that people are perceiving it Mm -hmm. so it's it's a really interesting it's it's not people aren't prepared do you know what i mean so you have to instinctually kind of adjust constantly to what is happening it's a it's a very present kind of state that you have to be in that's probably why you're a great performer for the box because most of the time people are drunk oh yeah and you have to still be performing for this crowd of people that maybe doesn't necessarily want to see you. Oh yeah. Totally. You know, they're not, com- they're coming to the club, Yeah, but maybe not to see a show. Well, you know, I, I, it's, you know, I think, you know, Rosewood mm-hmm. and I are very close mm-hmm. friends and I think that her and I, it's really interesting because if you looked at the contrast of what we do and to, as two of the performers who brought the most acts there pretty much in history, um, the contrast of what she does, right, is like this. We all know what she does. Like, X-rated for less. Yeah, yeah, X-rated, like, you know, out there stuff. But, but like, then, oh, it's story, so story-driven. 
Yeah, of course. And she's, a, you know, what she does is Genius. special. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then what I do is the absolute other end of the Ooh. spectrum. You know, it's like a soulful kind of, you know, her and I, our own soulful interpretations of what we do kind of like is the, if you were going to define the box in a way it's kind of what it is right it's like a very high skill set rooted in a culture right a very like almost folkloric it really is a folkloric form into like this pushed forward like shocking you know like fuck your head up thing you know so i I don't know i don't know if that makes sense but yeah i mean and performing at the box for me was a trip and I brought all different types of performers there with me. So, did you have any acts that weren't tap dancing or musical? Uh, mm, no. I, I mean, every I'm, I'm, my name is Jimmy Taps. There, that's what yeah. people call me. That's like my my name. What is there. your actual Sutherland? Name? Right, Sutherland. Yeah. Oh, I only know you as Jimmy Taps. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people know me as Jimmy Taps. <laughs> and Kaitana, because because I I know I've known you about you since I started dating Josh. She's like, oh my gosh, there's this girl who I work with. Her name's Kaitana, and she's the best at being sexy without being sexy. Like, just, like, not trying. and like yes, I used you as the rule for when I was, when we were doing Slumber as the, I think the thing I remember you saying once in rehearsal was, like, you guys taking off some piece of clothing in the scene mm-hmm. and just dropping it on stage as opposed to somebody who, like, threw it into the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, it's way sexier and, like, chiller just to be yourself and just drop it as opposed to, like, people going in and trying to do what they think is sexy, I don't know, magic mic style, whatever is in there. Mm. Um in their heads but uh i'll let you finish your, i'll let you finish your point no i mean but i you two are clearly like also influential on josh because i totally. definitely heard about both of you since since we're you know friends oh. friends i mean i knew i was gonna marry him but. and jimmy was in my very first <laughs> i know uh, mr Abner, show that i yeah. ever put on which we have like a thousand <laughs> Because nobody took them, but we still have a thousand. Where was it? Where was it at? <laughs> Dixon Place. Dixon Place. That's right. Yeah. That was your first ever. First thing I ever like produced, produced or wow. put on that I wasn't uh, like a performer in. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. Goes goes way back. <laughs> mm-hmm. So okay, what's funny though about both of you, which is also probably why you're a good match, is you clearly have like the writing creating bug, which not all dancers have. Many dancers are just happy to like be in show up. Yeah, show up yeah, and be up. in things and just dance mm. um where do you think that comes from in you two like what appeals to you about writing and creating and not literally just dancing well i was always fascinated with how things come together uh when i going back to when i first began dancing at southern valley theater which was a ballet and an opera house in this giant train station in florida where is that? um it's now i think it's now called orlando ballet Oh, okay, so it's near Orlando. Um, in Orlando? It's in Orlando, yeah. And it, I don't know if they're still at that venue anymore. I think it actually flooded. But when I was there, it was this old train station wow, that they cool. converted into beautiful ballet studios, and the other half was an opera house. So I was there all the time because my mother was teaching. So after school, I would go there. And I was literally, I guess, the phantom of the opera, <laughs> the child <laughs> phantom of this place. And I was had my fingers and everything, so I was like... With the costume people, seeing how they put things together. I was with the school administrator, seeing how she reached out to people. Like, I always was really curious and had to entertain myself because I was an only child. So I literally was, I loved seeing how things came together. So the bug started really early. Um, And both my parents do it. Did you always have it in the back of your head to be like, oh, I want to choreograph stuff and direct stuff? Or did that come as a conscious thought later? 
Um, did it, it came, I think I just fell into it and was, I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. It wasn't like I'm going to be a director now. It was just kind of like this, this works. I like this. Yeah. 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 It was natural. And what do you think appealed to you about the storytelling writing aspect? Because that's also not that common in tap dance or in beatboxing. I would disagree with you, obviously, about that. But yeah, yeah. I guess maybe. Oh, oh that's this one is. You said oh, no. his face. Oh, is it yeah. Maybe I should always like, warn people. I try to warn people, then I just totally forgot. Yeah. I look bad. I, I look like shit. No, I just search that. Yeah, that oh would be God, helpful. So he's like so fluffy. You saw him. He's like <laughs> my poor dad is like this too. He comes here and he's like after twenty minutes, he's like okay, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Um, I, I guess you're right in the sense that tap dancing comes from like there's a lot of movies and musicals that use tap dancing in a storytelling way. Yeah. But you don't. At least I personally don't see a lot of tap dancing acts that are based in story like around well it's difficult man you know that's that that is very true um i think there's you know that is a whole broad discussion that we could totally dive into and i could go on forever um i uh i also i'm i'm I'm, i do interviews like you we've been shooting a documentary actually and i've been you know having this very discussion with a lot of these people but um i think you know when you when you write a piece of music, you know it's um, or you present uh, what you, what I, when I present what I do as a tap dancer uh, or as a beatboxer, you know, um, or when I'm beatboxing, if you will, I you know I think and being being in drama, you know, being being you know uh, having the uh, the luck that I had to. And the int- I don't know, you know, it's a, it's an instinct, you know, where I'm, it's you, you learn that cause and effect and you learn the gratifying and satisfying element of what comes from that exploration in your imagination. And as a musician, you know, when you're, when you're writing a piece of music, how you present it, um, it's really a reflection of, this is really altruistic what I'm about to say, but like, it's really a reflection of us all, you know, we all have a beginning and we all have an end, you know? So it's kind of, it's, you know, we, we just came into this place now and we met you guys and now we're going to do the interview and, and then we're going to leave, you know, it's kind of like, there's a beauty to the expression of that, you know, of in any way, in any way, shape or form, if you're expressing that, you know, and you're in touch with that, then you're free. So it, I guess it's a freedom, you know, mm-hmm. and as a musician, as a tap dancer, especially, you know, the way you introduce elements of what, of how you do it is what makes it so effective. Because if you start out, then you have to come, you have to follow up with something else that's going to make sense to that, you know, mm. and there's got to be a flow and there's got to be a beginning and there's got to be an end, you know, it's got to, it's got to tell a story in a way in order to relate. And if you don't relate, then you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter really to anybody else but yourself. And I think that what this is all about is relating to yeah, everyone. Connecting else. to it. Yeah. Do you guys feel like, and either of you can answer this, there are any kinds or types of stories that are told particularly well through dance or that don't work our, particularly our show, well? Our show really tells stories <laughs> well, through let's dance. Let's get there after this. <laughs> Teasing Carmen a little that, bit. Other but than that. Just generally speaking, are there things that you've seen thematically work or not work with oh, that thank medium? Thank you so much. Do you need some water? Sure. Thank you. Um, Other pieces you're saying? Yeah. Or just for example, like circus, I feel like is really good at showing things that have danger or have 
um, some kind of virtuosic match to it. Danger's like a good theme for circus in general. Mm. Um, but like you wouldn't, you can't really tackle, um, I don't know what you can't tackle, but there's some things that lend themselves more obviously to certain kinds of circus disciplines mm -hmm. than other things. And you could push it, like you could do a fabric act about divorce, but it might not make the same level of like narrative sense and pulling that to make it fit okay. to the degree of which if you did something that was more, um, I don't know, straightforward. I feel like circus is not so great at telling very complicated stories and acting is really good at that and dance is somewhere in the, in the middle of these things. Yeah, I mean, going back to that, I mean, ballet is, the ballets are so complicated. Mm -hmm. They're, they are, and you're fully able to tell very complicated stories of triple love triangles, and, and um, dance is a great medium for that. It's very expressive. The music is there. It's There's just no voice, which I think leaves a lot open to interpretation on the viewer's end. Um which is forces them to use their imagination a little bit more than something that is necessarily being given to them with words, mm. which I think is really exciting. Um, yeah. Well, let's use that as a segue then for Carmen. What is this new show you guys are working on? I know it's going to be coming up a few more times. Well, you know, I do want to say something about yeah, go, that. Go back to that. Sorry. Yeah, I did. I actually did. I didn't want to, I knew you had something to say too, but you know, it's really about what you're asking. I think is really about the audience. You know, it's really about the audience because it's, it's a language, you know, and, and everything is, and who it's about the education level of your audience that really dictates how impactful or effective a story is, mm -hmm. you know? If you're a tap dancer who tap dances for tap dancers, well then that's gonna really change the way that you impact, you know? But if you're a tap dancer that has to perform for a bunch of juvenile delinquents at a nightclub getting <laughs> wasted, that's a whole different challenge. And of how you're going to be effective, right? You know what I'm saying? Accessibility. Yeah, and yeah. if they don't know, they don't know the language. They don't understand that what steps mean. They don't know that if I do a, you know, a double wing on the left foot, jumping over the top while I'm going to do the triple shuffle, whatever. They don't understand the physical element of what that is and what that takes. So if I look like I'm struggling while I'm trying to pull that off, and I might even miss it, the only thing they're going to know is like that dude looks crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. So you know how you tell us story with it is really you have to think about the audience that you're presenting it to and that's the only way if from a ballet from a ballet standpoint a lot of people i think in this you know fucked up culture that we live in 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 some sense would go see a fucking ballet and fall asleep because they're yeah. like what is this but some people would watch it and go this is unbelievable do you see the technique do you understand like the history the culture mm -hmm. you know sorry so do you comment. feel like ballet is becoming um like to me, opera, maybe like four or five years ago, started losing funding and started losing people who were giving money to the opera. Mm. And it felt like an older art form that people weren't appreciating as much anymore. Do you feel like ballet is, is I don't necessarily think it's there, but do you feel like people are less, less and less appreciative of going to the ballet and seeing ballet? I think that in in general, people's attention spans are a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. And I think that they want accessibility, like instant accessibility. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I'm not in the ballet world so much anymore, so I can't really say if, if people are still going or if yeah. it's losing its momentum in that way. I do think that there's progressive choreographers and, and visionary directors out there that are 
keeping it relative mm-hmm. to their audience and keeping it current while also maintaining the classics. But I think that um, m- something that I want to do is I, I do want to bring dance onto a platform of of accessibility to everyone, mm-hmm. you know, and, and art, all art forms of it, you know, um, folkloric alt- art forms to hidden subcultures that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. And I think people are really excited about that. Uh, it's just how it's presented. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So where are you guys thinking for Carmen? Who, who is your audience and what is, what is that angle you're taking with this show? Yeah, I mean, I think going along with what she just said is is kind of like what the master goal is, is that, you know, people, there's an element in our show uh, of of uh, Afro-Cuban folklore, and it's serious, like it is, as it is, it's the real shit, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's the real, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like, she told me like, don't curse as much as you curse, I mean, curse a lot. <laughs> it's fine, I got that note from my dad. Okay, yeah, well, she, same thing right now. <laughs> no, but you know, there's, there's an element of it, of this show that is really folkloric, you know, and being a tap dancer, coming from tap again, you know, like tap dancers tapping for tap, right? They can understand tap and they can take tap for two, three, four hours. If you go to a beatbox show, they can, you can go and watch beatboxers beatboxing for beatboxers for four, five hours. And like Kaitana and I would go, we went to like the beatbox championship like a year ago and like, you know, 20 minutes and we're like, wow, like this, we're good. Yeah, like, like I've seen it. Like, yeah. I'm not entertained anymore because they don't care about me, clearly. Right. They don't care about anybody else. Well, we're not their audience yeah, for yeah. that specific event. Yeah. 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 We're not, like, waiting for the next sound to come out and be like, oh, that sound. I'm going to practice that sound. Yeah. It's just not how it's going to be. You know what I mean? Like, same right. thing. And, you know, like, people, people really, you know, people become obsessed with their folklore context and and for good reason you know because it makes them connected to their family because it makes them feel connected to who they are it's their freedom it's their expression mm-hmm. it all makes sense but I, I when when your question to answer your question is that we have blended and blends a really crazy word but like you know we've taken we've we've had the good fortune to collaborate with some wonderful choreographers Jessica Castro who is um uh, I, I guess she's a, 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 a what what is the word a, a, a contemporary and commercial, commercial heels dancer but she's really a technical like beast you know mm-hmm. in in all styles and she has really kind of she's leading her her um her genre i guess in a way and what she does you know and it's very empowering to to a woman the way she uses what she does like women are very drawn to her style because it's a celebration of of that you know and you know so jessica for instance like that i think a lot of people can relate to a woman being empowered through the dance in a way and also the technical skill so that, you know, we don't do an entire show where it's all heels, right? Because if we do a show that's all heels, then the audience that it's going to be most effective to is an audience of all people who understand what it's like to do heels, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we use it as a color. We use it as an element, you know, and 
it's it goes along and make we make sure that all of the forms that we're using or that we're implementing are married well within the vision of the story. So, for instance, um, you know, uh, I wanted to say, you know, Desiree Godsell, for instance, she's actually very well known in the bachata world, you know, around internationally. She's incredible, but she's also a salsa dancer, you know, a salsetta, if you will. And so she brings a very deep respect from the New York perspective of salsa, I think. Um, and culturally, I mean, she's just, a, 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 she understands this work. Sorry. She's feeling, what's the name? Sorry. Hudson. 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 Hudson's feeling what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, you I'm heard saying. that you're allergic and he came right over. Yeah. yeah he's like, you can't be allergic. <laughs> and yeah. So Desiree Godsell, Max Pollock is one of our uh, choreographers who is um, really bringing like the cultural context of the Afro-Cuban folklore to this. Um, this guy has really, I mean, he's lived for the last 30 years going back and forth from Cuba and New York and Austria, actually. And he's just, he's connected to Los Muñequitos de Matanzas, which is like the, um, the pioneers. I mean, they're not, they're like the family of rumba. So we're very connected to that in our show. But at the same time, it is not a folkloric show. Like, the, you're, you know, oh. if Afro-Cuban folkloric people or fans and understanders of that world came to see our show they would feel very gratified in knowing that the real thing is there and it's really being done here but people who don't understand that they're going to get a peek into it they're going to see it and they're going to they're going to appreciate it because they're not going to get hit over the head with it you know there's some kind of story to the show as well or is it all just like sort of virtuosic dance pieces yeah it's adapted off of carmen the opera um and ballet you summarize Carmen for somebody who hasn't seen it. <laughs> so Carmen, um, uh, Car- the original story, uh, originally a novella, and then turned into an opera. Um, it's a love triangle, a classic love triangle. It's about a woman who is uh, a gypsy born. She's a, a petty thief, and she's also the woman that every single buddy in town has eyes on and knows and she wields her power over men and women alike and um she uses uh she has a lot of relationships with men and she falls in love with a a soldier who promises her a way out and she gets bored and then she finds another man who uh is a bit more of a celebrity and she leaves him for them and ultimately the soldier who has left everything to be with Carmen um, is consumed with jealousy and he murders her why did you guys pick this uh, you know story to adapt and you guys probably could have picked anything what was appealing to you about it well it's um I think it, I related to it it was something that spoke to me and it's as simple as that it was instinct my instinct was like this story is something that I want to tell and I wanted to tell it in a different way so what we did was we set it inside or inspired by 1950s in Havana Cuba inside the Tropicana Club Uh, Carmen is a showgirl something that I know very well (laughs) and uh, the soldier character, Don Jose, he is the club's uh, general manager. Mm -hmm. So he's her fiance. And the love interest is a celebrity boxer who comes in as a punter at a table. So the whole evening happens in real time. It's told through dance. We have a live Cuban band who is 
just out of this world. Yeah, Ariadne Trujillo. Is the musical director. Hmm. So is all the music their original music? Or is it, are they covering pieces of music? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's all covers. Uh, although there are original arrangements that are, um, they're actually, Ariagne is a, uh, is just like this, I, I, there's no words to describe the power and beauty of this woman. She's an incredible singer and pianist, jazz, Cuban pianist. And, um, so she's taken, she's taken a few songs, uh, from the original Carmen, the Habanera and the Toreador, and she's rumbafied them, if you will, wow. in her own arrangement. So it's like a rumba version of these, um, classic pieces. So, yeah. Right, so you guys are the directors, right? Directors, producers of this Creators. show? Creators. Creators. Everything. <laughs> Not choreographers. Not choreographers, yeah. yes. And how long have you two been together for, dating-wise or relationship-wise? Four years now. Wait. Almost four years. Yes. So how do you like working with your, you know, significant other on a project like this where you're, you know, sharing the creating, producing, directing tasks? It's great. We work really well together. We keep each other challenged in great ways, too, you know. Um definitely yeah it's 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 interesting it's a great it's a great it's kind of like a puzzle piece you know it's like i feel like her skill set and my skill set together are, are really there it's just a great uh, mixture i feel like you know i i bring certain aspects to the to the show that uh that are specific and then she does the same and it's just kind of like it's it just feels like um, it's kind of like fate in a way. It feels like fate, you know? Um, it's romantic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's like, you know, like she, she had, she loves to create new ideas all the time. And that's kind of like one of the blessings that she has, a gift that she has, this ability to imagine a, a limit I mean, we all can as human beings but like someone who is willing to express their imaginative impulses and come up with such interesting ideas all the time is kai you know like that's what she does and so i i feel like i like wrangle it and and i'm like well that can be done realistically if we do x y and z and then she's like but why why can't we do everything about that i'm like because that can't be done right but you know but most and of the time and then i push it into existence she does <laughs> it sounds does. like you and i have similar roles and you two have similar roles. yeah definitely like, definitely yeah no yeah i was thinking that well now i try to go you know because we've been now working i mean we met working together at, at columbia for grad school we were like working on projects together so we always were working together but then when we really started working together i have like the immediate reaction like no and which obviously can be demoralizing at some points and like frustrating so now we try to do maybe <laughs> that's the new thing <laughs> maybe <laughs> nice. so that was actually from this this uh, off-broadway theater company that i'm on the board of they go well because it's three of them creating together which you know, as you can, as you know, two voices together is a lot and three is even more. Uh, so they go, we never say no. We always just say maybe. So right. like, Josh, we should just go maybe. Maybe. So do, do what do you feel like your take on more of the directing, creating role and the other one's more the producing brain or do you kind of both do everything? I think we, we, we consult with one another on everything for sure, yeah. but we definitely have our strengths and weaknesses in certain parts, like audio for me. Like mm -hmm. I, I, you know, have recorded live music and mm -hmm. I've 
deal with sound all all the time. So Kai is just kind of like, you go do that thing, and I'm and then lights. You know, she has an understanding of lights from her her uh, experience over the last directing you know career that she's had. Um, and so, you know, I don't even if I sat with a lighting designer and tried to have a, a dialogue, he'd look at me like I was a straight up idiot. You know, <laughs> he'd be like, what are you saying? I'm like, more yellow. Yeah, there. That's green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah less, uh, I don't like it. That looks bad. You know? Yeah. So that and then from the I think I'm very I communicate. I'm a communicator. I love I love I mean, she's a wonderful communicator as well. But I think that I I like to talk a lot. Which I'm gonna stop doing as much, I promise. But no, but you're. This is a great format. You're on a podcast, so if you didn't talk, it'd be super boring. It yeah, work. yeah. They'd be yeah. like, oh, "What's the next question?" Yeah. Ask you. You're on the way here. She was like, "You're gonna talk a lot, right?" I was like, "Of course, that's what I do." You do you know? not like talking as much? No, I do. I um, I'm making it <laughs> sound like I hate talking. No, um, no, I do. I I'm very efficient kind of with my my speech and um she's a quiet storm <laughs> that is what you call me the That's quiet right. storm yeah. <laughs> um and i'm i listen I, I really love listening and i observe a lot which i think makes me very good at it's like a key um, directing skill directing, listening yeah. yeah yeah she's the director yeah <laughs> i'm the co-director I'm, I'm more like the dramaturg on this yeah and, i mean uh, you bring such a, a great reality to the performers from your training, you know, and um, getting dancers to really understand that is amazing. Like mm-hmm. getting dancers to actually live something out like it's truthful mm-hmm. in, in this show, in this moment, moment to moment. It's great. Yeah. You know what we were saying yesterday actually was was that I'm why well, I said this. I said this and I, I still believe this. I think I'm like the subconscious and she's like the conscious. Like she's the one that's literally directing the stream and I'm the one that's the voices in their heads because I analyze every single point of view and every I try to make sure that everything is covered and I throw it at them and they're dealing with all the emotions and thoughts that I put inside of them. Mm-hmm. They're like, wow, that is too much shit. And then Kai goes just do this and they're like thank you god <laughs> you know and so it gets done you know and they've got all that you know inner works happening and there's no more time for questions because kai's just said do this and they're like thank you and they do it so you guys aren't performing in it then or are you, you i'm performing, performing it. oh i make cool. a brief cameo nice yeah and you didn't want to do it no i mean i'm not really dancing anymore i tore both my acls and, while you were at the um, box? While I was, yeah, both on stage performing. What? Did, just yeah. dancing? Yes. What happened? Yeah. Go ahead on stage performing. <laughs> Josh, mine is um, Well, I tore my first ACL years ago before I moved to London, um, performing on stage. And I was, uh, I was dancing, and I didn't really realize I had done it until afterwards. But this last one I did, I was, it was... The anniversary. I was back in town. I hadn't been back in town for years, and I was back in town for the anniversary. And I was performing something called "Against All Odds." Yep. You know that number. I do. It's an awesome one. Um, what is it? It's um, a number where the female lead is begging her lover to forgive her, mm-hmm. and um, I'm surprised as who the lover is, which maybe. We- Go ahead if you want. I, know, I don't know if we spoil it or not. People, it's such a good. <laughs> so uh, I'm not, I'm, I haven't seen it. Now I'm just dying to know this, this 
Spoiler. The punchline. The punchline is the punchline is who the lover is, and yeah. um, well, we'll tell you offline. It's worth it for people to see. Yeah, it is. That is the act. It's who the lover is. Yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah. So it's a it's the back of the man's head, and he's he's in an armchair, and he's he's doing all these gestures. Oh wait, I have seen this act. Yeah. Yeah, and then when he stands up, he's very Short. small. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, I saw this. Yeah. At the. Who I wonder who was doing it. So that was your that you created that act. Um, I actually didn't originate that act, mm. but I ended up taking it over. Um, okay. I just had a thought about that act actually. A really interesting thought because I know that the way it's done, and maybe I shouldn't give away. You can cut this out, but can I ask? Yes. You know, it's always a like a a, a tall person sitting at Correct. right. Yeah. Why didn't they just have the other guy stand? Because okay, there's like a reason. Trip, that's all. You see the hands. The it's arms. the hands. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Right, because he's sitting on top of someone else. Yeah, and you yeah. need the actual like scale. Scale. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Oh my god, I did. I have actually seen that. So you try to see dancing during that number. It's basically number. a solo for the girl for like it's most a, of it. Yeah, it's a it's a dance solo. Yeah. Throwing yourself on the ground, begging for right. forgiveness, thrashy, and I went um, to do a split. And well, I looked down and my knee was going the other direction. And I was like halfway, halfway, maybe not even halfway through the number. Um, and at the end, I actually pick my partner up. Right. So I finished the number, but like begging my leg not to um, give out. But it actually used it, you know, to my advantage in the sense of like, right. I'm emotional. So <laughs> it'll work. Yeah. But yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. So that was kind of my, that was my last... Were you leg. there for that? That was my last leg. <laughs> <laughs> last leg. I'm sorry. Yeah. I feel like Did you get ACL surgery on both your legs? I, I didn't get ACL surgery. I PT and yeah. and strengthening that way. I'm kind of holding out for something that some new to come along. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. ex boyfriend in high school tore his ACL doing football. Yeah. And like I was dating him through that whole lovely like brace surgery. Yeah. Awfulness. It's a long recovery. It's a long recovery. And that's with this first one, I I did PT and was able to continue to dance. So mm-hmm. that was my original goal was like, maybe I can continue yeah. dancing. And it just happened so that I um, was asked to go in on, on Queen of the Night. So I just kind of ended up staying and, mm-hmm. and went into a new career. <laughs> Do you did you miss dancing or was it just a totally natural transition where you were like I can be totally fulfilled choreographing and directing and It's definitely fulfilling. There is a performer side of me that I'm um I I think I live out through the performers, which yeah. is great. I love it. I adore it. But I think there might be a, a slight Bit of nostalgia for it. Bit of nostalgia for for being on stage. I mean, it's beautiful. Right, yeah. So you guys met at the box then? We did. But you must have reconnected (laughs) at some point, at some point later, because you guys worked at the box without dating for ages. That's right. Currently. You want to tell this story? Yeah, let's uh, tell the romance story or the non romance story. (laughs) For the record. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yes. Yes. There was there was her right yeah we we talked about this earlier you know I was like damn I mean I just was like I don't know I I was performing there I was Jimmy Taps and I was one of the specialty acts you know and she was one of the dancers in the show and I just had my eyes on her that thought that I, honestly to myself I said that is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life and I was just like entranced you know. Um, 
<laughs> she's yeah come on now come on now yeah hey Jimmy Flash yeah and she would just walk by me hey Jimmy Taps yeah and that was it you know and I was like she doesn't even know me <laughs> we never even had a conversation and yeah I was just a watchful eye and I was basically not even there at the beginning to her I think I was just some other element well of, they keep the variety promos separated from the dancers exactly to some degree. <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly yeah yeah you guys yeah. like in the face in europe less so in london but definitely in in new york that's right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no wait is it the basement i forget the yeah, first time we went to the box yeah. josh brought me it's like maybe the second weekend we had known each other I remember i was like i don't I'm like gonna marry this guy and he was like stop <laughs> but he did he took me on the whole box experience where we went through the dressing room and this one he was still cool there Mm. Yeah. And, a while uh, ago. Yeah, and I <laughs> got a lot of shots. And Classic box experience, getting too drunk too quickly, seeing the show. Yeah, I lost exactly. my keys. Tour, I, and I don't know. really drink. Yeah. And I don't really get, like, drunk. And so it was very... Uh, memorable. <laughs> very well, memorable. You, you want to hear something really funny? Is that I was actually completely sober the first two years I performed there. Yeah, completely like sober. It's a hard environment. Just sober at the work environment. Sober period. Yeah. Like I was completely sober. So, yeah, I I didn't have... I, you saw everything. I saw everything. Right? Yeah. And then you're almost like, oh my... Because then I've gone back sober. I'm like, this is... It's almost a... It's like a... Almost easier to have a few drinks in you. Especially with all the crowds of people. Mm, totally, yeah. Like, not necessarily the performers, but to me, it's just the overwhelmingness of the people there. Mm-hmm. It's like so much. Totally, it's yeah. very intense. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. So you guys, so you were like, she doesn't see me. She didn't see me. Obviously, I don't know what her perspective is on this. Honestly, I knew what you. Is, what is your perspective on this? She's like, oh yeah, it's that guy. That dude. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, I was that dude. <laughs> and then, what happened? So, so and I didn't have. I think I was. I had a girlfriend at the time, so I wasn't like even gonna pursue right. anything for any reason anyway. So. Um, and then I guess five years ago, I had left the box for a while. I'd come in and do one, like a week or two or something like that here and there for uh, like basically a few years. And, um, what were you doing when you weren't, when you like kind of went away from the box? Just different shows, different. All over the country? Yeah. Performing with musicians, you know, tap is a very, it lends itself to be a guest spot in most shows. So I'm, you know, a lot of different musicians and, uh, learning jazz, you know, just all that stuff. Yeah. Gigging, gigging, you know, gigging. Yeah, man. So, um, and then, and, uh, and so, yeah. So like five years ago, um, I got a call from Rosewood actually. It was like, Hey, listen, we need, we need you back in the show. Like we need you back at the box. You know, I was like, okay. And she's like, yeah, it's just, you know, we need a good, we need a good Jimmy Taps up in here. And I was like, okay, uh, let's do it. And I was like, well, let me see what I can come up with. So there was a, another couple of directors there. It wasn't her. And I started like going in every week to like try and workshop some new idea that I had, which was this like MIDI trigger, whatever sexual concept that I had where I was triggering sex sounds with my feet while I was dancing. It was weird. And it just wasn't, it really wasn't working. It was like too many, like, like weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had this idea, you know, I was like, I, you know, I, I loop my beatboxing. Right. And I, and I was like, so, you know, what could be thematically cool at the box? And I made this song 
This is not very romantic, actually. But the song was a really funny song. It was called I Play With Myself. So I was beatboxing. <laughs> I was rapping about playing with myself. And I was tap dancing to myself beatboxing. So it made That's sense, cool. right? Yeah. So I was singing, beatboxing, and tap dancing with myself. Uh-huh. And um, and then I so I had this idea. And I was like, I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to show this, you know. I came in and uh, one of the directors said, so we lost this one director and we have a new director. And uh, I was like, okay. And she's here. Um, her name is Kaitana. And I was like, I mean, you could, I, thank you for making that noise. Cause I was going to attempt that. And that was it. That was it. That was the noise. And, um, and I was like, whoa, wait, wait, you mean like the, like Kaitana, like the dancer Kaitana? And he's like, yeah, you know her? I was like, uh, not, yeah, I know her. Yeah. So, then she comes downstairs and she's like, "Hey, Jimmy Taps," and I was like, "Hi," and um, and and I put you in the show that night. So you like you, <laughs> you liked the act? Oh, yeah. you skipped over the best part. Was it was just me and her in the room, and I did my number. I played with myself for her by myself, and she was like, like dying laughing. It was like the funniest thing. It was the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life to this day. Ever. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then, then she pursued me for a long time and begged me to go out with her. Oh, yeah. 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 That's right. I asked him out. It's true. Sure. And what did you say? No? The first time? Yeah. He didn't say no. Yeah, I was I was dodging her for a while. So. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, no, no. I can't get caught up in this. But it happens. Yeah, it engaged. happens to the best of us. Engaged. Yeah. That's right. There you, you guys go. are engaged? You said? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, good. I know. I saw your ring. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to ask it. It's so pretty. I love it. Thank you. So how, um, when did you guys get engaged? June. Oh, snap. That's, so, yeah. that's so long ago. Yeah. Nice being able to say fiance, right? It only lasts for a yeah, relatively a, short window. Yeah. 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 yeah I always totally. felt weird saying it, but then people engagement. would say it because yeah. you never get to say it again. <laughs> Because you'll never get to say, oh, my fiancé. You always have, will say, my husband. Right. No. People are like, don't feel weird saying it. It's probably my mom. Just, hey. <laughs> if I, I, I feel weird saying it. Like It's so weird. It's like it's, my fiancé. It's forceful, yeah. right? It's it like, is. And people are like, You're fuck like, you. Duh. Right. Like, oh, oh that's my fiancé. <laughs> Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. That's a little pretentious, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It's very like, yeah, yeah. But you should slip it in when you can. Well, that's not weird. I do. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so, you, so you guys both know Spencer Novick. Yes. Or maybe you don't. No. The clown. He's he a clown. Like a sound oh, yeah, I know. I know him. I know him. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's like really mainly in Australia these days doing Australian variety circus, um, which is its own little genre of circus. Yeah very specific like comedy needs for Australians um but he did he showed us a new sound effects act that he created for the box maybe like two years ago yeah and he did it in our apartment and Josh and I were like that might be like too intense he got the note that it was too too (laughs) Too dirty and intense it was like way too x-rated did I see it I don't know if you ever saw it, but Two I guess ago, I mean, basically like he didn't, yeah, obviously think, his whole thing is the sound effects. He's just moving to them, but yeah. some of the sound effects were just like, did you, you have to, think, you know, I think you told me about it. I think this. it was. I think it got a little dark. Yeah. Yeah. It got really dark. It was, and Josh and I like, was like killing babies in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was like animal yeah. sounds. And then it was yeah. like the, it was like Miley Cyrus wrecking ball or, or no, I forget which, it was a Miley Cyrus song. Yeah. It ran. <laughs> He took out a few things. Oh, yeah. I know who this is. Yeah, yeah, skinny dude. yeah, 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 yeah. Really yeah. skinny. Like, I think one of the best like physical comedy movers. He's great of our generation. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's so funny because you think like, oh, you can do anything in the box. Like, you can do any. But then when you see that, you're like, 
That might be a little too far. But I only remember, the only thing I remember from my first experience at the box was a guy, well, lose me, you know, a guy doing handstands upside down in gold underwear with money raining down. Sounds like a classic box number. Something I wanted to. No add. one has been able to tell me what it is. I don't, I I don't remember who that Where is. Where was it in New York? In New, New York, York, yeah. It was like maybe five, five six years, years ago. ago. No idea. I don't remember who it was either. It might have just been a one-off or like a one or two-week guy. Yeah. Something I wanted to ask you about, um, and you sort of brought it up a little bit about being sober for two years, is working in nightclub environments and sort of the drug and alcohol abuse that comes with that versus doing regular ballet or working in theaters. Um, and like, if you could just have like advice or perspective to show people who are like, how do you sort of like keep your body safe and like your mental life a, a level of stability while constantly being around like the party scene, um, or if there's a way to do that? I say communicate to your loved ones and your friends about the environment that you're in, and don't be scared to talk to other people about it because then you know that you're not alone and there's strength and other people around you and they can be a reflection to what you're actually in because sometimes when you're in it and you don't have anybody else you you don't really know how bad it is or mm. how good it is so i think just speak to your loved ones about where you are and be open about everything do you feel like that it that changes the culture basically where i'm coming from this question is and i've seen it in the box obviously what that culture is but we did a show at house of yes and the, the culture of working with nightclub people is different than the culture of working with regular mm. theater people. And I do think it comes from this sort of like party aspect. And you have like basically I think sort of two kinds of people. One who are like Mark Mitten or like Hugh Jimmy for these those two windows where it's like, yeah, I'm above it all. I'm just not going gonna to say sober all the time and you guys can all do what you want. And people's way of dealing with it is to step out of it entirely. And then you sort of have the other kind of people who like want the community feeling and because the community is partying and having a good time and everyone's hanging out, it's in a way hard to avoid it without being like super principled about it. But bringing this now to current, do you find that you have to um, manage the people who dance below you and and work below you uh, as far as like their, their use of substances and partying and things? Because we've had issues in shows where we hire people who party like way too hard and it becomes, you know... I, 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 I literally hate that you've opened my head and my thought process to that. And I'm like, oh my God, that's something I else. I got. Now Josh had to tell oh my God. But Sorry, Josh. No, I'm going to have to be know, looking yeah. at me like, oh shit. Uh-huh. Huh. All these things, though, every show you do, you're like, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. Now I got to write that into like our agreement, agreement or, you know. Right. Well, crazy. Our, of course. Our show now is set in a nightclub environment. Um, our performers do not drink during the show. Um, nor, although they do do pretend shots. I mean, it's a part of the the environment that we're creating, but it's um, it's safety. Are you asking about people drinking outside of yeah, the, of outside the environment? Of well, yeah. just basically it bleeding into work. Well, there was a case of someone who was working at the box who had to leave because it was it was a very difficult. She got addicted to something. Mm-hmm. It was really bad. Yeah, I mean. That's, uh, and she, you know, I think, Kai, I'm speaking for you right now, but like you said, like, how it was difficult for you because it's difficult to be in that, that position of power, you know, and, you know, understand that if you say something, it's going to have an impact. But at the same time, when someone's addicted to something. This is what I'm getting at, sort of being in this role now of director, producer, and having to make these sort of calls on 
Um, well, you can see if someone that is in your company is suffering from something or something is off about them. Um, and I think that, like I said before, communicating with everybody is important, even if you're even if you're a dancer or if you're someone who's um, a leader. You know, it's ha having an open line of communication with that person and talking to them about it because it, you can't control what people do within that space or what they do when they leave. All you can control is is how they are when they're with you. Um, and you know? So the flip side of this question, um, which I think is uh, probably both of you have experienced it, at least at the box, um, like two or three years ago, maybe last year, there was a Sleep No More article talking about how all these dancers in Sleep No More were saying that um, the production staff wasn't protecting them enough from like drunk patrons basically going up to them and like harassing them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another sort of thing that comes with working like not literally audiences sitting in seats, performers on stage, Close. but it's immersive work in mm -hmm. places that people are drinking. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering, like, what your experience is like that, like with that kind of thing, and if you've been like, you know, thinking about at least in Carmen or other shows, like, okay, what happens when the audience member goes, you know, haywire or not? Uh, definitely in Queen of the Night, that's a, that can be a problem when you have all these one-on-one. -on -one moments absolutely i mean i as a performer at the box i mean I've, I've had someone stand up in the audience and shake an entire bottle of champagne onto my face while i was performing on stage like and that is so severe and so extreme but yeah. it, it there's no way to protect a performer from that other than when the security guard steps in and moves right, them, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and it's crazy. Like, you can't control people in those situations. But it's it's having a smart head on your shoulders and knowing how people can, um, how the performers interact with these people for their own safety. That's really important. That's something that I learned really well and can pass along. But it's also having the support of the venue, having the support of the staff everybody there to, to support it mm. support 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah i think that's yeah. really i think that's really i didn't know that about some the sleep no more but i i do think that i would i would say you know that's a that's a a production um that's a production problem if you if you don't if you don't take that into account and you don't prepare for that, then there's a there's an issue. Because for me, I guess we're lucky enough with our level of production and the architecture of our mm -hmm. space, which is very small. Like I'm like a dad to my, mm -hmm. I, I really am. I, I feel very fatherly to my cast and my crew and company. And I'm ever watchful. I mean, if and this is how I am in general. And like, you know, Kai always says, I get along. Why do all security guards like you? It's because I just have this protective quality yeah. thing Doing about your me. job for them. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I guess. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. But like when, I, when I'm when i out in the audience and, my, and I'm watching my the performers do their thing, if I saw anything, I mean, the star's husband was trying to get into the green room and I'd never met him. And I like straight up. Was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, I, I grabbed him by his yeah. coat lapels and pulled him out of the. You know, he told me he was, but I'm very protective of that. Yeah, I mean, and I, to give advice from my perspective was to would be just to care. You have to just care about it and make sure that you do everything that you can to stop that or, or to have any protocol for any. Yeah, anything I think like there's that. like a, a not a fine line because there's a clear line, but I think thinking about it from a producing standpoint. It's like your number one goal is for the audience to have fun, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, where does that line end and where do you, how do you handle it? So 
no everyone feels good about the situation and also like like we we're saying earlier like sometimes you don't even can't even prepare for some things until it happens and you're like okay now like with our show the this community of dancers is it, it always feels like a community right so everyone feels like they can come backstage and like right. say hello and stuff and for me that's like so taboo especially mm-hmm. coming from theater where it's like no one comes backstage until way after the show and they're out of costume out of makeup and then we and there's say seven checkpoints exactly yeah. and it was frustrating to me because it was so against their their how culture. they their culture that they were like no we let people back and i was like i just really feel like this is not a good setting like for this or like a, a, pres- a precedent to set mm. and after our first season we all talked and, uh, and they were like yes i we agree that it should be like more of a sacred space and because people would take advantage of it and come back and like hang with them while they're like changing and all this stuff like, exactly like, that's why there are rules and there are like so many years and years of practice through you know traditional arts mm. which i think is something that like all these immersive shows and new styles of performances can take because mm. it's almost like oh well that's like what you do in traditional theater i want to do something totally different it's like we can really take what we've learned through ballet and theater and apply those practices to a new style even like the box you know like treating it more like a performance venue and less of a nightclub well the performers certainly do right yeah. but i think maybe when it first opened it's like just a nightclub it has to be cool we have to like let everyone do what they want to do so it feels like we're not did you know what happened at the box mm. but it's an interesting kind of like squiggly well, yeah you know you guys are i think we're all kind of touching on the same basis about alcohol you know and and abuse of of substances you know it's like especially i, I didn't understand i didn't even know that about queen uh, about um, sleep no more but I, so you're saying the complaint really came from the performers basically sleep no more they would the specific complaint was that before the show started i don't know what the exact text is maybe you guys will remember it mm-hmm. But they say, like, you can do this, you can do this, and everything else is, like, free game. Right. They, they'd say something which basically enabled the audience to it's make... like, the your adventure was, is up to you. Or yeah, something to, that was... The idea was to enable the audience to take action and be... To do things in the space. Mm-hmm. But it can be also interpreted as, like, you can fuck with whatever you want, right. including the performers. Mm-hmm. Um, and performers and, were upset about that. And yeah. just over time... Complaint stuff like in the New York Post. Right? That, but that has to do. I see that. I, 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 my only interpretation of that would have to be the communication between the people who are presenting it and buying tickets. No, and the people who are doing it, mm-hmm. because I think, and this is just only this is a guess, and yeah. this is not a knock on anybody, but it would seem as if, like maybe at the beginning, everyone was kind of like. Mm-hmm. In communication, and it was kind of probably a close knit family, and everybody was like, "We got your back," and, and I know you like, got me back. Many years later, well, I mean, yeah, if the performers, yeah, yeah, exactly, and if the performers aren't feeling protected, it's because they don't know the people who are putting on the show right. anymore. You know, I guess it's a good theme. The whole theme is protecting the performer. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely, um, yeah, always, because then it's like. The performers are going to work work for you again. You know, well, that's they have, the like, a about, terrible experience. Uh, that's the difference between a machine yeah. and a piece of, of something that's expressive, you know. Like, you know, you, you, you crank out Les Miserables and it's like... <sighs> My favorite musical. Well, there's equity, you know, and they're going to protect their performers. <laughs> right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like unions, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah. But well, then, yeah. We, but then unions have its own set up its own problem oh, against yeah. creating something new, special. You know, like yeah. Exactly, which is why it's more. It is fun to work outside of the the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, because it feels more freeing and like you can 
create something that's not within these guidelines, mm-hmm. um, which is where I lived for so many years of like, you know, this is the play we're doing. This is, you know, the musical and this is how we produce it. Mm-hmm. And this is how we sell tickets to it. And this is how it goes. You know, and it is very freeing to work in a space that isn't that. But at the same time, like, like get why some of the rules are there. Right. <laughs> you know. It's a constant negotiation and it's constant communication, you know. Yeah. That's the human element about what we do that's important, you know. And when you lose that and you treat people like they're they're not, then everything goes wrong because that's anti. How many dancers are in um, Carmen? Nine. Nine. Including and then you. Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm a, we have, there's a variety show in it. Oh, nice. So there's an aspect of the show that's... It's a surprise, though, you know. But yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna um, rotate variety. It's a variety show inside the show. It's a show within a show within a show. Where can people uh, get tickets and learn more about it? They can get tickets um, on our website, uh, Variety Life Productions uh, slash Carmen to Abandon Back. Yep. And yeah. Variety Life Productions is the name of your production company. That together. is the name of our production company. And Carmen's the first show from that production company. Yeah. It's the first live show. First live show. Yeah. So it was the idea to have many more in the next few years. Yeah. yeah. The idea is that we have a lot of shows um, on the back, on the burner. And then we've also got our hands in other things, the documentary that we were speaking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's this documentary that you're you're alluding to? Something to do with tap dancing? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, broadly, kind of, not not entirely, but uh, we're focusing on a guy named Max Pollock, um, who is, uh, uh, he, he created this thing called Roomba Tap, which is a blend of Afro-Cuban uh, Roomba dance with tap dancing, American tap dancing, and actually body percussion as well. So this little Australian man just like became super obsessed with these two forms. And he has been going back and forth uh, between uh, New York or America, really, the United States and Cuba. And he's been teaching Cubans how to tap dance. And it's a really extraordinary thing because, you know, Cuba is really kind of cut off from the world, you know. And they can't, a lot of people can't really afford shoes, much less tap shoes. So to get the culture and to to have access to tap dancing Mm -hmm. with people who are so, like he says, very resourceful people. I mean, they use like bra straps to literally like for their their engines or their cars because they don't have access to like any kind of updated car uh, mechanics. So they like they're just resourceful people so having a man like him come and teach them tap and seeing what they're doing with it you know is is really extraordinary so he's one of the first people that we're we're telling the story of a person who's doing something um in this way so yeah oh i can't do you have a title for the the documentary yet uh right now it is a working title working but title. it's it's about max pollock yeah awesome and when do you think uh people are able to see it how far like where are you still shooting are you in yeah yeah you? For, yes we've, we've met with some some wonderful people um uh some leaders in their field uh in tap dancing jason samuel smith we met the we met the family of los muñequitos de matanzas in cuba that was that was actually the inspiration for this show. the The trip oh. to Cuba that we took shooting this documentary actually was her inspiration for putting Carmen uh, into cool. the Cuban. Yeah, so that's it's we are still shooting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. We, we in fact saw Carmen there. Oh, that's the, right. We saw the ballet. <laughs> we saw. Wow, yeah. that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. Right. Oh, that's cool. At, yeah. the, at the Grand Teatro, yeah. And you know, since you were moving every four years, is there somewhere else on your bucket list after New York you want to be doing shows? Um, L.A. L.A. Absolutely. Yeah. 
There's a. Hook it up, we have a Josh. theater real close to LA. Pick yeah. it up, Josh. <laughs> Let's we go. Yeah. We do have a theater. That's yeah. cool to say. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's great. Um, LA, okay. LA. What do you want to do in LA? I'm not sure. The weather's nice. I don't know what else. The there weather's good. Would, would be amazing there. Probably yeah. would be awesome out there. Yeah. 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 I, w- I really want to work with my dad. He's out yeah. there. Um, so figuring out a, a dope collaboration. Sure, that's awesome. For that, too. Um, more site-specific events, uh, shows here in New York City. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to get Peter Brook with it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Old school. Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. man. I, like, that's, I think, you know, the more experimenting you can, you know, that's the beauty of the dance is that, you know, it, it you don't have to, you know, that, that's a language in and of itself, you yeah. know? So getting... Do we have his book? I have his book. Which one? Yeah. I don't know if it's sitting about Jimmy Which right one? now. Um, uh... Whatever when we had threads of for time, Columbia. no. Or, 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 um, uh, what's not threads of time? It's, what uh, is it? I don't know. I don't know. It's probably up there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. Peter Brook going Peter old school. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, man. But you know, like I, I think international audiences is something that I'm really interested in for, for our work in general. And and um, you know, we went to Zurich and we went to Cuba for this documentary. And all the other elements of this documentary, it's actually a series, you know, we, it, it's going to, it's, it takes, we want to go uh, to different places. I love traveling, so. Us yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was born in Switzerland. I was. Oh, really? We were there in January. Oh, oh get out. Yeah. What part? Didn't uh, come to America until he was 19. Nope. Oh. I'm an immigrant. Get out. Yeah. Are you from um, Basel? I'm not from Basel. I'm from a town called Zug, Z-U-G, Zug. which is in the German speaking part. Yeah, near uh, Lucerne. Near Lucerne. On oh, Lake Lucerne. Cool. If you've been to Lucerne. Um, oh, cool. But they have a really great circus culture if you ever go back. Basically, Switzerland's perfect for circus because all the towns are really close. And every town has a big, flat, open field. So, like, the old-school circus model of traveling, like, 20 miles and doing, like, two shows, 20 miles, two shows. And doing it, like, somehow works perfectly in Switzerland just geographically. While in the U.S. Crazy. It's among the reasons why Benzie and I think circus died in the U.S. in its older form because the distance you have to... Crazy. travel and the things that work are regional and now everyone lives in cities and now everyone no lives in cities yeah mm-hmm. except lincoln center <laughs> yeah except lincoln center um great well maybe we we head to our final three questions and maybe each of you can uh take a stab stab at them everybody oh. gets these same questions are they trick questions they're no. not trick questions <laughs> i think they're pretty good questions okay i think people people do like them yeah Okay, so the first one is and each of you give an answer to this is there been a piece of advice really good or really bad that somebody has given with you that has stuck with you? Ladies first. No, do you, sir? Well, a piece of advice that has been really good or really bad that has stuck with me. Yeah, it must be something. <laughs> I mean, um, I'll cut the thinking out. That's Maybe cool. Maybe that'll make it sound like you thought it. Like right. I just, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like an opportunity to really say something, you know? Like, because... I've had a lot of advice. Um, you know what it is? You know, you know what I'd say? One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a man named Wayne Adams. Um, and... I don't want to fuck it up. So I got to say it in my head before I say it. But um, he always said, he always says, uh, 
what is going to happen will happen. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So. Josh tells me all the time. I do. I'm really? a believer so in anxious fate about, and that yeah. most things, even the terrible things, are there for a reason, and you'll figure that out as you, you way know, later, whatever that reason was. As you guys will see, now that you have two weekends of shows, tickets are always so scary, right? You look every second, and you're like, oh, my God, no one's coming. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, soul-crushing. And the day I was like, can I get in? Can I get in? Yeah. Can I get in? And then yeah. you're like, oh, everyone's here and wants to come. And then some days it is, like, 20 people. And you're like, okay, this is just, like, what it is going to be. Um, but I always, like, freak out. I mean, less for this show and less for Misbehave, but more for Slumber. And uh, Josh's like, whatever's going to happen will happen. Like, that's it's what's going to be. It's all good. You'll live through it. Yeah. You know. Like, yeah. yeah, but we're like 50 more people to buy these tickets. I'm not saying <laughs> I live by it. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the best piece of advice. Like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. How about you, Kai? I'm still thinking, to be honest. It's, um... The other questions are easier. <laughs> That's good. Um, I mean, really, it's my mother who always pushed me to trust myself, trust my instincts, because your instincts are all that you have. And if you don't trust those, then you're nothing, you know? So that's it, simple. Those two really compliment one another, those yeah. pieces of advice. Yeah, um, <laughs> We should just tell each other that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's always easier to like say it. Just give advice than to take it. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that really beautiful? Yeah, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Yeah. So the worst like, piece of advice I ever got, though, yeah, yeah. I, I have that. was... No, I don't even want to say it. Oh, so you have to say it now. No, 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 no. Well, the, the worst piece of advice is always, almost always greatest because you're like, oh, right, that is a bad piece of advice. Too. It was my brother, actually. He was like, well, you better propose to her. She's going to leave you. Oh, yeah, that is a good piece of advice. Yeah, but that's a good piece of advice. But no, you don't ever do something because your brother told you to do it. I don't know. My my brother, uh, who's been dating this girl now for like three or four years, the only reason he kissed her in the first place was because Lindsay was like, you just got to kiss her, dude. It's like him and I, does she like me? I don't know. Just you have to cut her. that part yeah. of my brother tell, out. He'll tell real quick if she likes you or not. <laughs> you have to cut the part of my brother out. Okay, I will. <laughs> yeah. He's a dick. Oh, he <laughs> now you gotta keep it in. <laughs> is he your older or younger brother? They're all, yeah, they're all older, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have, I couldn't ask that. Do you guys have siblings? No, Kaitana's sing, uh, only Solo single. Child. Only, only child. baby. Yeah. Only baby. And four, you do. Four, four older. Brothers? Dang. Three brothers and one sister, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's five of you? Five, yeah. Dang. Mm-hmm. Are they all, any, any of them are in the arts or just you? Yeah. Uh, they, I think. All the guys, all the boys played instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, some more extensively than other. My dad played trumpet. So, oh. yeah, so music was always kind of like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't play trumpet anymore. He's an attorney. But um, but my, my one of my brothers, the one that I'm, uh, I guess, more in touch with than the others, he, he played saxophone a lot more. I think he pursued it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Musically genetic or genetically musical. Yeah. Yeah. The second question is... Uh, for somebody who is listening because they're trying to learn about circus or dance or theater, is there a book, a movie, a TV show, a live show, anything as a reference that you love and you'd recommend somebody check out? Letters to a Young Poet. Mm. The greatest book ever. That was the first gift you ever gave me. <laughs> Aww. Hey. Why, why is it so great? 
Well, it's do you know it? No. By any chance, Raina Maria Rilke. Real no, no, K, if you will. Great. I have something. Most of the time, people say stuff. I'm like, okay, I know that. Yeah, that's a great one. This one I don't know. Yeah, so Maggie Flanagan okay. um, recommended it, and you know, she said read it once a year, and it's crazy because it's a, it's written by a poet, and it's you know a poet. That's someone who lives by a word, you know, or what a word means and why he says the word. And it's letters that he's written to someone who is interested in becoming a poet. And he he sends him his poems and asks for his advice. So the nine, I think it's nine letters that he writes back, um, they're all to this young poet, but he touches on every topic that you could possibly imagine and more about living a life through expressing yourself in general really and and so the words that he uses every sentence is just so perfectly crafted and and beautifully expressed and it just you can't you can't read it in any point of your life and not get something new out of everything that he says you know and he's an older older much older man in this so he's lived his life through expressing through words so it's just for someone who does what we do it's just like every time you read it, yeah. it's just like, oh, God, you just start getting these ideas. You know, it's amazing. So that's the book. Love that. That's our bookshelf. For sure. It's a good one. And we're doing a book, a single book. It could be or... a book. It could be a live show. It could be a TV show, movie, anything that's artistic and has inspired you. Well, there's so much that's, that's inspired me. But I, I think that um, for me, it's the quest of always learning and always being open to as many things as possible and it's hard to really pinpoint one thing in particular but for me going from being a ballet dancer to being a commercial dancer to being a choreographer to being a director it's um what i did for each path and each step of growth was finding someone that inspired me in that particular world researching them researching where they came from and what how they did it and then applying that to myself. So who in the directing world was that person for you? Well, I like Julie Taymor mm-hmm. a lot. She's done um, Across the Universe, which is something that was very inspiring to me. And she's also done live productions as well. Like Lion King Lion on Broadway. King. I mean, she's yeah. she's incredible in Vegas. Like, yeah, <laughs> and definitely something someone that I, I look up to a lot in that, in that world, especially as a woman. Did you see the thing she did at the Shakespeare Polanski Center like no. two years ago? There's apparently like a lot of acrobatics and like uh, midsummer, like aerial, yeah, like weird aerial um, oh, set pieces with like fabric and things. I missed it, I but um, yeah, she's super cool. Yeah, yeah, she's that director now that uh, like so many people try to be like, I want to do a version of Lion King, you know, and it's like, well, we can't do a version of Lion King because it's. Big. She also made all those masks, like she knew how to make masks and created them all herself and. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's she's cool. <laughs> she's really cool. Interesting to see. I'm interested to see what she does next. Like her, like what her next kind of like commercial show is going to be. Well, I think Spider Man um, definitely was a turn in her in her exactly. career. Yeah. Right. I think people thought she could do no wrong. Yeah. And then that happened, and now it's like, well, that show is doing so much it was really so progressive and, and and oh my god spider-man yeah you know and was the stage moving as well the sta- like they took it out after yeah. that an accident happened right. but the stage was moving right, somebody fell yeah. Yeah. yeah the there was like you know the football uh technology of 
how the camera goes across the field in the football field. That was how they were moving like the Green Goblin and Spider-Man around the theater. Mm-hmm. So it kept breaking when I was there. They got, they got stuck for like 20 minutes over me. Yeah. It was, I mean, there was so much a story. There was a lot that was bad about it. Like there was the story was just all over the place. The music was all over the place. But the but I really admired all the chances and like different directions she took. Right. Yeah. Like at one point there was this massive like cut cut out cardboard baby that like came onto the stage to cut that. But like you know, I think like once they redid it and they had the script doctor come in, then it just was a bland show and no one really you know what I mean? At least with her touching it it was like what is going on so weird and i'm man i still like listen to this some of the music that 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 show was cursed separately from julia tamor that show that show was cursed when the lead producer of it when he was signing died signed the papers uh i didn't know that yeah we have on the show but it's called a song of spider-man um it's a it's the story of making that show um, yeah lead producer the guy whose idea was signing the investor paperwork and has a heart attack while he's signing it Wow. The yeah. omen. You're like, oh, Jesus. Um, yes. What's going to happen is going <laughs> to happen. Going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, Julie Tamer. Yeah. Great. All right. You take the last one, babe. So who, who do you guys think? I'm sure you don't know every single person that's been on our podcast. But who do you think that we should talk to who's like interesting to you guys? You feel like our Maybe listeners would, would enjoy listening to? Rudy Mikaji. Oh, yeah. Rudy. Oh, you did an act with him, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's... um like 12th generation circus and has he's a wealth of story and information i i worked with him he was a partner of mine he, he trained me in some circus acrobalancing and aerial and um the time that i spent with him was hilarious and beautiful and amazing he's a very funny dude yeah and he's he's a wealth of knowledge where is he yeah no. He's in Italy right now okay um i think he won or placed really highly on it's like Italy's Got Talent. Italy's Got Talent, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. got some of the best, like, uh, they're not one trick, but best one trick style acts Yeah, I've ever seen. It's like comedy and then some one weird variety trick. You've <laughs> seen the video with him and his brothers when they're like all young doing their four person yes. acrobatic acts. Incredible. So crazy. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rudy's a great, great, Rudy's a great uh, suggestion. Yeah. How about you, Jamie? Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I just have to ask, like, what, what the, what the focus of your audience would be? Like, is it circus and theater and putting? I mean, Honestly, there's so it much. It started right? out really being pretty strictly circus, and over the last year and a half, we've just been doing, uh, mm-hmm. as we basically tapped out a lot of circus people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look down the list, yeah. but uh, also we're trying to sort of match it just generally with our interests more than just um, circus. We have listeners literally all over the world. So, People who are putting on shows, right? Like, no, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I actually yeah. don't know. I would tell. T- <laughs> I have a really interesting guy that I think that you would, would love to talk to, and I would love to listen to actually. Um, a guy named Jared Grimes. Why is he, his name so familiar? He, he's a he's a tap dancer and a, an actor and a, a choreographer, and um, okay. he's just a he's a very witty and blessed individual that I think from the perspective, from any perspective as a performer or as someone who puts on theater or um, someone who choreographs, um, he's a, he's, I think he'd be a really interesting interview for you guys. Cool. Did you ever see After Midnight? He was in that. He won a Tony for that. Oh, that's why his name is. Okay. I was like, that's right. 
I saw it. That's Jared. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah, he's he's a he's a force of nature. Okay. He's on another another stream of you saw energy. That with me, right? Yeah. That was a really interesting show, especially to be on Broadway because it really didn't have enough story. Enough story, but it was so. I mean, big band, you know, on stage and tap dancing and like partner dancing and amazing singing, jazz. Yeah. So it was really good. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I actually do know him. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. He's great. He's great. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you guys both so much for chatting with us. And this is fun. The, when's the wedding? <laughs> After Carmen. After- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's for the. Do you want to say the dates? Yeah. Hell yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Come see Carmen to Van and back <laughs> on February twenty eighth, March first and second, and March fourteenth, fifteenth, and sixteenth. And are the shows all at 7.30? 7.30, public arts. Depends on what type of uh, ticket you buy. There's there's four different entrances. So mm. um, go on our website, varietylifeproductions.com. Is it also on their website, the public arts? Or? It is on public arts. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's at public hotel. So there's a few arts. places to go. To get yes. your and we'll link it in the description too. Yes. Well, thanks for having yeah, thank uh, the you. time to come talk to us. This is awesome. Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry you almost died, but you look a lot less red. Thank you. I was really <laughs> yeah, it's, red. It's huh? made a you, you had yeah. some hives. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is happening? I was like, oh, his neck is so itchy. Yeah. And then, oh, God. But I have Claritin there because so that makes the same over. Same for thing. this reason. Yeah. Well, it should thanks. always be here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. And that was our interview with Katana and Jimmy. If you like our podcast, make sure to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, Twitter tweet us, and email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com. Remember, if you are the first of two people to email us, you get to see our Beyond Babel presentation on February 26th. And if you aren't one of the first two, but you happen to be on the West Coast or in Las Vegas, go see one of our shows. You can get tickets at beyondbabbleshow.com or misbehavegameshow.com. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye.